On this episode, I say what I can about my Colorado trip, I analyze the finding of a British boy, I give an update on Matthew Grant, and I cover a bunch of other stuff, including breaking news regarding an unfound disappearance. I'm Ed Dunsell, and this is Unfound Live for December 18th, 2023. Hello, everybody. This is Unfound Live for, what is today? December 18th, 2023. I hope everybody is doing well. I am, as you can see by the background, uh, some of you who are uh, familiar to the live show and maybe to uh, other things that I've done in the past, other recordings that I've done in the past. You know that the background is of my the, the my I'm at my dad's place in Renfrew, PA, and that uh, this is actually the room that I uh, sleep in while I'm here. This is my room while I'm here, and in fact, over here, right there, you can see the um, one of the bed posts. Uh, there is a bed uh, right here. Of course, that is the door back there that goes out into the rest of the place. Of course, there's a closet back here. And then there's a, uh, like a, I don't know what you want to call it, but there's a TV, a smaller TV sitting up here uh, back to my right. Um, so I'll be here. I'm going to be here till next Friday, uh, December 29th. And uh, so I got uh, like a week and a half to go and uh in looking into flights man flights are just crazy crazy priced flights crazy so i got a great show for you tonight um we had some new uh, i'm gonna be talking about uh some very very recent today news regarding a um a disappearance unfound featured way back in 2018 I'm going to tell you as much as I'm allowed to say about my trip to, uh, to Colorado. Of course, I've been there uh, and then to Pennsylvania since you uh, saw me last time. Going to talk to you about um, there was a, uh, a statement released a few days ago regarding Jason Landry's disappearance. I got some insight into uh, the... The Consult Podcast, the third and final episode of their coverage of Jody Husentrude's disappearance. I want to talk about that. I'm going to talk about this uh, French boy that was found six years after he went missing. So a lot over tonight before uh, we move on and some of us go to bed and then maybe some of you on the West Coast in the United States and elsewhere uh, go on with your days. Uh, before I get too deep into this, I hope you will consider uh giving this video a thumbs up as you are watching tonight you know how important that is so if you could do that i would appreciate it uh consider subscribing at least to the youtube channel or if you're watching on facebook please like the page please join the discussion group whatever think you you think you got to do 
to feel as engaged as possible with the Unfound podcast. If you'd like to go one step further, you can hit the join button below on YouTube and you can support what we do here, uh, the content that we provide, not necessarily on a daily basis, but if you're following uh, between the podcast and following what we do here on Unfound, uh, the YouTube channel, you are uh, uh, getting a lot on a weekly basis, especially even on a monthly basis. So um may try to uh, also sign up on patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast. You can support that way or paypal.me forward slash unfound podcast podcast. So, uh, like I said, I'm here in, uh, of course, I'm looking for questions uh, tonight, and um, I'd love to hear, uh, read some of your questions in the chat. Uh, It does not have to be true crime or disappearance related. Totally up to you. Um... Most important thing probably is for next week, given next Monday will be uh, Christmas, there will be, of course, no Unfound Live on Christmas Day. And uh, so there'll be a two-week break, and I will come back. I will do one on New Year's Day. New Year's Day, of course, is also on Monday. There will be a live show for January 1st of 2024, but there will not be an unfound live for December 25th of 2023. And you just watch. Given there's not going to be an unfound live show next week, you just watch. This week, probably all sorts of things are going to happen. And then I'm going to have to wait two weeks to talk about them. That would be pretty, 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 pretty predictable. (laughs) I'm going to jinx it. Um, Here in Pennsylvania, it is... uh, in the low 30s, it did snow today. It didn't stick on the roads, but it did stick on the, the grass and, and the and in the woods and places like that. But pretty much the roads, I think, are uh, pretty clear here. So some of you might remember when I was here last year that it snowed, snowed. It was crazy snow when I was here for that. I think I was only here a week last week, last year. And, and uh, the roads were horrible. And it was below zero. This year probably is closer to a more typical Pennsylvania Christmas, at least in recent memory. With it getting a little bit of snow, cold, it's certainly windy out there. But nothing uh, to an extreme by any means. So that's what's going on here. And and, uh, that's really, um, you know, being that so much of my time has been taken up by going to uh, Colorado, I will get into that in a little bit. Once again, um, yeah, yes, Hazel, uh, no unfound life on Christmas Day. We have to draw the line somewhere, Hazel. Uh, let's see who is in here tonight. Everything, uh, I'm wondering everything. Are you going to change it to everything 2024? I'm wondering. Stitching, what's going on? Uh, you're at Stitching my dad is my dad is doing fantastic. He is out uh, sitting out there watching some movie with Robert Redford in it. He is doing great. Uh, we went out for breakfast today. He was actually supposed to play cards this evening, but 
uh, he, um, they had like one too many people. So he, uh, said no problem. And he came back home. Um, Karen, hello. How are you? Puma got any snow? Like I said, just some snow on the ground. Uh, not a lot of snow on the ground, but it's, it's late. It's, it's, uh, it's snow on the ground out there right now. Uh, Puma is uh, commenting on the car being found today. Uh, I am going to be talking about that. It's a big deal tonight. Uh, of course, nephew Charlie, I've gotten to see him. Uh, you see Charles in the chat. I've gotten to see Charlie twice since last Monday on Friday for his mother's 50th wedding anniversary. And then again yesterday over there in Ohio at uh, my sister's place, his mother's place. And uh, a great time was had by all. Lisa just asking about Donnie on Facebook. Yep. Uh, going to be talking about that. Hello, Melody. What's going on? Valerie says, didn't get my workout today. So out in the dark, cold, not ideal, but my neighbor is safe. Okay. I'm not sure what that means, Valerie. Hazel, Sheree, thank you for moderating tonight. Marty is here, only one minute late. Uh, I'm guessing that is you, Lisa. We still don't know what happened to my cousin, Chip Campbell. It has been years. His birthday was yesterday. Sorry to hear that, Lisa. I think that's you. And uh, everybody's saying uh, hi to Marty. Hello, Kathy. What's going on with you? Um... Yeah, couldn't come into the think tank last night, Marty. And stitching's back. Did you go to Camelot? Uh, not yet, Ferry. Um, uh, not yet. I know what you're uh, talking about there. No, I don't know if we'll be going uh, to that place or not, my dad and I. Um, there's Rockford. Uh, what's going on? Good to see you. You were just in South Central Pennsylvania. All right, so I'm in western pennsylvania extreme western pennsylvania i just mean i'm running well listening tonight okay good valerie okay so let's get right to it i got a lot to cover of course uh, a couple news stories came out today uh that are uh were a bit unexpected and uh, so i had to add them to uh the agenda which means we have a very full agenda uh, for tonight. I'm just going to go over the Aaron Gilbert poll and then uh, I will talk a little bit about uh, my Colorado trip. Uh, but you just have to understand due to contractual obligations, I'm only allowed to talk about certain things and I really can't talk specifically about what went on uh, with the interview, uh, them coming out there, interviewing me, taping it with the director. I can't get into specifics of that. The Aaron Gilbert poll. Uh, this is a revisitation. I think last Monday I had said that I wasn't sure what I was going to do. Was there going to be an episode? Was there not going to be an episode? I decided to go with, yes, there was going to be an episode. We'll do another revisitation. Um kind of like what they do maybe for sitcoms in the off season, they rerun uh, previous episodes in the time slot. It's kind of what I did here. I, I did here. Of course, I, we've done that before. Maybe do three or four visit revisitations per year, depending. Uh, of course, the previous one was Pamela Golden, maybe back in October or something like that. But I wanted to replay Aaron's, uh, for a few different reasons, 
some maybe I can't get into, but I will say just publicly that uh, I want to give a thank, a huge shout out and thanks to her sister, Stephanie, who since she appeared on Unfound going way back over six years ago, she's been so supportive of uh, what we do here. I've, I've seen her speak very kindly of Unfound in multiple places, kindly of me. And I really, really want to thank her for that. And so uh, this is a way maybe for me to extend a, a, that thank you back to her by replaying Aaron's, uh, the, the interview I did with Stephanie way back, like I said, in 2017, it seems like yesterday. Probably at that time, I'd maybe only covered like 30 disappearances or something like that. Now we're like up to 317 or something like that. But I did put in a poll. Uh, we were not doing polls back at the time, I don't think, uh, that Aaron's disappearance first aired in, uh, I think, August or September of 2017. But I did post a poll in the discussion group. And it was also our first opportunity to talk about Aaron's disappearance in the think tank. And I'll talk about that in a bit. Patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast. But in the discussion group, I had three different answers. What ha- what went on with uh, Aaron's disappearance? Was it by choice? Was it by force? Or kind of was it kind of something in between? Was it planned? Let me let me just make sure I get the wording right on that. Let me um, check that for a moment. The wording was. What was Aaron Gilbert's disappearance? An accident? Planned? Or something in between? And people could explain below in the comments section in the discussion group. And overwhelmingly, with 81%, uh, people picked something in between. Between between an accident and planned. And uh, coming in second, second was planned, meaning... Uh, whoever did this, whether you want to be believe Dave Combs did this or something else or somewhere else that it was planned. Whereas I guess something in between would be um, something going too far, not planned, but not an accident either. Uh, a crime of passion, I guess we might say. So in the uh, discussion group, that was the most popular answer. Something in between. And just to read some people's uh, you know, what they meant by that more likely became disoriented after a hinder. See, um, and this is something I, I think is very interesting. Uh, we even saw this in the think tank that it's not as straightforward as you would think regarding Aaron's disappearance. I realize a lot of people, I think maybe the general public, uh, believe that Dave caused her disappearance. But even here, the first person here says more likely became disoriented after a head injury and succumbed to either the energy or the elements regarding Aaron. Um, then the next one, Dave did it. Um, next comment, Dave did it. Um, and then the next one was Dave did it. So those were comments going back to uh, something in between. You can explain that below. And that's what these people did were explain that moving on to the think tank though. I was very surprised by this. It was really kind of 50 50 regarding whether Dave caused Aaron's disappearance or not. 
Really surprised me. Um, of course, you never know what you're going to run into the think tank when we can have these discussions that are private and people are free to express their opinions, their insights without any judgment uh, from all the trolls out there and uh, all the uh, know-it-alls or whatever else. But it was there weren't that many people in the think tank last night, which is fine, but it was almost split 50-50, whether Dave Combs had something to do with it or not. And I think the reason is, and and I even talked about this last night during the think tank, that, you know, I'm, I personally am never going to understand in situations like this, when we think that a guy did it, why they don't come up with better cover stories. You know, we've hear, heard this over and over again with Angela Green and Rosemary Rapp and uh, Marion Hurley and a bunch of uh, the, these guys, these uh, husbands who tell these very, very flimsy stories. Of course, Dave was not Aaron's husband. But these guys who are with women and then the woman goes missing and these t- tell these stories that don't make a lot of sense. The problem is... Maybe Dave's story does make sense. And uh, that maybe he's just off. He said it was two hours. Maybe he's wrong. Maybe it was only an hour or something. Of course, nobody can understand why Aaron wouldn't just have gone with him. The problem is that, as we talked about, and I, you know, in the think tank, I can be a little what will we say, uh, a little more PG-13 or R-rated in the think tank because it's private than I would ever do here because this is a public forum. But there is a thinking that this was all some sort of some some plan by Dave to get Aaron up there because he was attracted to her. And maybe he really, really did uh, sabotage his own car so as so as to be stuck there with Aaron. And maybe that backfired on him. Maybe she figured out what he was doing or whatever and got ticked off with him. And it very well could be that she really did walk away and he was just too embarrassed to, to say exactly what happened. And then she goes missing, but he doesn't necessarily have anything to do about it, do with it. So this was a uh, an extensive conversation uh, that we had in the very, very private uh, think tank group. So it was kind of split. Now me, I still think that Dave was the cause of Aaron's disappearance, but I wouldn't want to, you know, given that I'm going to be next going into uh, my Colorado trip, um... I still believe that Dave was the cause of it. And I think that it does fall in line with many of the disappearances that have been featured on Unfound regarding men and women. But I would also tell you, I wouldn't want to try to have to prove that in court, given the facts that we know. Now, of course, if we would go to court, there would be maybe, uh, you know, I'm not, I don't want Aaron to be deceased, of course. But if she is deceased and her remains are found, Obviously, Dave is going to be a pretty good suspect, but of course, it depends what state the remains are in. Are they buried? Are they not buried? Just a lot of factors going into it. But right now, 
I wouldn't, given the situation of this disappearance 28 years later, I think Dave did it, but I sure wouldn't want to be forced to try to, to prove that in court. There are many others that we've covered that are similar to Aaron's disappearance, which I think are much clearer, like Angela Green's or Marion Hurley's and, and many others. Aaron's is not like those. It's kind of like those. It's in the very general category of the man said, but I just don't think it's as obvious as some of those. M- you know, my opinion on it. And I, by the way, have you, any of you are Patreon supporters. Unfortunately, I've still not had any time to uh, write the blog for this past week and been a little busy traveling and and everything else. So I'm going to try to get to it. It may very well be that I write Aaron's blog and I go right into the blog for this coming Disappearances Friday, which I will talk about uh, like I do the last five to ten minutes of this live show. So let's see uh, what everybody is saying here. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Uh, uh, Rockford says, I don't even want to admit how much time I thought about the Gilbert case last week. Yeah. Yeah. I honestly, uh, Marty says, I honestly think Dave caused her disappearance. I just don't see any other reason to call her sister in the morning. Well, there's Charlotte. What's going on, Charlotte? Good to see you. Yeah, it's been a long time. Where you been? You've been very busy. Okay, I gotcha. Rockford, I think he gave her a story as for why they couldn't leave, and he stuck with it because he thought she would reappear. Then he realized he was stuck with it, and it looked even more guilty. Rockford, if everybody wants to know, Rockford is a member of the think tank, and he made a similar argument last night. I think that's a very strong one. I'm not saying all of you have to believe it, but it is a very logical way to look at everything, and... For us guys, it may, you know, if you're a guy, uh, what Rockford has written there makes more sense than you women probably will ever know. Um, Kathy says there's so much wildlife uh, in Alaska. Certainly true. And it, uh, Rockford says she's not a local. I think that's a huge factor, Charlotte. There are so many people there who were not good people from what I've learned. Well, it may be Charlotte. Uh, we talked about that. Could there be some sort of political connection? We dismissed it in the think tank. Thought that was um, a bridge too far. But if you want to think that, that's totally fine. We we dismissed it. Could be like a Death Valley Germans situation. And I don't even think I know what that means, Rockford. Uh, question, is it colder in Colorado or Pennsylvania? I've never been to either of them. Well, I will tell you, Valerie... Um, that when I flew from Colorado on Thursday to Pennsylvania, Colorado was colder. But now uh, the temperature was here today was the same as it was when I was in Colorado, if that helps. Um, Both um, get, I think, 
very similar. You have to remember the part of Colorado I was in was not the mountainous part. I was in the high plains part. So that probably is a factor. And what I would say is that the weather that was here today with the, the, the temperature and the cold, the snow, very similar to that Wednesday night. In fact, it might have even been the same system now that I'm thinking about it. Um, very similar to that Wednesday night when I went out and took all those pictures and did the video and everything. So I guess for this time of year, Valerie, very similar. So that's the disappearance of Aaron Gill. But I think another factor, um, when we were analyzing it in the think tank, I brought up Zoe Campos, like I did in the um, in the episode itself. And you have to remember, the summation I did in 2017, different from I, I did an updated summation for last Friday's episode. The other big factor if you want to look at the comparison is that just doesn't seem that Dave Combs, same type of guy as Carlos Rodriguez. Just not. Um, And I think that also is a factor which then causes uh, Aaron's disappearance to just not be to the extreme of some of those other disappearances that are similar. The guy involved just doesn't seem to be as bad as maybe some of these others. Although we we could talk about some of these others where those guys don't have any criminal records before or since either. Just still trying to figure it all out, uh, I guess is what I'm saying. Death Valley Germs is not only a fascinating, mostly solved disappearance, but also an excellent cautionary tale about dealing with unfamiliar territory. Look it up and you won't regret it. Death Valley Germans. Um, okay, I will do that, Rockford. And I got hair uh, flying around here. Oh, you know what I forgot to do? I'm going to do this right now. Of course, if you're just listening, you're not going to see this. But I got to put this on. Got to put on my uh, Santa hat. I meant to wear this tonight. I don't know why I forgot. But uh, there you go. Now I have my Santa hat hat on. And uh, some of you have already seen this hat. Um, I wore it while I was traveling to Colorado and then to Pennsylvania. And I was one of the few people in either airport wearing one. And I loved it. All right. So that's the disappearance of Aaron Gilbert. I don't know where I would put it on the possibility of being solved scale. Of course, 28 years doesn't help. Doesn't help that it's Alaska. Doesn't help if we're thinking that Dave did it, that it seemed like he did have quite a bit of time to get rid of Aaron. If that is what happened, Uh, that doesn't help. It also doesn't help that it doesn't seem, although there's certainly other female disappearances in Alaska, surely, that it just doesn't seem to be one that's exactly like Aaron's, which doesn't uh, help think of, thinking about it. So um, just hard to say. So I can't really put it anywhere. Probably it's somewhere, certainly not impossible. This I don't look at Aaron's disappearance uh, as being as mysterious or maybe possibly unsolvable as, for example, Jason Jolkowski's. 
but I also don't think that it's uh, on the other's end where we know exactly what happened. And if remains were found tomorrow, that automatically guys would be charged. It's not like that either. So there you go. Um, love the hat. Thank you. Thank you, Charlotte. Um, would love to hear the police's perspective on Dave's interrogation. Uh, Charlie says, I should have worn the hat yesterday. I maybe could have done that, uh, Charlie, now that you brought it up. I suppose I could have. All right. Moving on. Uh, my Colorado trip. Keep in mind, I can only say so much. I cannot get into any specifics of any topics that, um, I'll just set everything up. Flew to Colorado, uh, got picked up. I rode the Greeley Express for the third time in my life. Um, everything went as planned, uh, very smooth. Stayed at the Double Tree Hotel there, which is a really nice hotel, although there was no hot water. There's hardly any, not none, but hardly any hot water on Thursday morning. I wanted to take a shower before I um, went to the airport on Thursday. The water just would not get warm enough for me to get under the water. I know what's up with that. Maybe because everybody got up at like eight in the morning and used up all the water. I don't know. But other than that, it was, it's a nice place. And I had a beautiful view. I took some pictures. We took some video. Hopefully everybody got to see that. So I really on Wednesday really did not do anything until about two 30. Uh, where the guy that uh, has first contacted me and the guy that I've been coordinating with and talking to for almost two years now, it's hard to believe, uh, he was the one who picked me up at the hotel. And we went over and the filming was done at the offices for the Greeley Tribune. And they were we did it back in their warehouse area, even though it was warehouse, it was very warm, very comfortable. And in fact, for the interview, I'm wearing a short sleeve shirt. I was not cold. Temperature was great and everything. And so it was me, the guy that I've been coordinating with, uh, the director, who I only got to meet once before over Zoom some months ago. His name is Marcus. And there was a sound guy, a video guy, uh, a lighting guy. And it's just a very, very small crew. And so all I had to do was sit on this chair. The director's off camera. And um, he just proceeded to start asking me questions about myself. How I became a, you know, like I said, you know, just went from one thing to one thing to another, you know, went to the trial on and on and on. And I, once again, I can't get into specific questions, but trust me when I say probably there are a lot of questions you can imagine that the guy asked me that he asked me. There are, you know, my bio and stuff like that which, as you know, is going to be part of any interview probably that anybody does. I did not see any other guests while I was there. I don't even know. I'm I'm guessing they did interview other people that day before me. I don't know who those people are. I did not run into them. I'm thinking, I'm sure that I was the last guest of the day, pretty sure. And um, so it was really, went for about an hour and 45 minutes. There was, um, I really did not do any studying on my part, which probably I regret at least a little bit. And the director had like a a pad that 
you know, he was going through things that he wanted to ask me. And like I said, I cannot get into um, any specifics. I'm not allowed to do that. What I will tell you is this. Um, what I can say is that I wish I had more opportunities. Not TV opportunities. I'm not talking about that. I wish I had more opportunities to be interviewed by people where they're asking me more about insights into disappearances. I know we do that with Dr. Zalesko, um, you know, once every six months or whatever, you know, the anatomy of a disappearance or something like that. But I don't mean necessarily so I could spread the word more. Of course, I love educating people. I love spreading the word about disappearances and everything. But I wish I could get interviewed on that topic more so I could brush up on my shtick. So I could feel um, a little more, not confident, I know what I'm saying is true, but finding the right wording. Because what, how I felt in being interviewed by the director, not his fault, my fault, is that, uh, you know, a huge part of the way I, f the way I feel about S Janelle's murder, Steve being charged and being convicted and everything else, is based on my experience of the last seven years. And what I find is I have a hard time explaining my personal experiences and talking to people to people who really don't know, I'm not, really don't know about this stuff. I think that they take a lot of things for granted. I'm not saying the director's certainly educated, certainly. Certainly educated, has all his notes about Janelle's murder and about Steve and everything else. Absolutely. But. There's more to disappearances and murders than one disappearance and one murder. And if you are only, you know, this is something that I run into with many guests, is that they will start telling me about how the police aren't calling them back and how they're not doing searches and this and everything. And because they only know about their personal disappearance, they automatically think some, some sort of conspiracy is going on. That, of course, we have had some where maybe that's, you know, of course, like uh, Robin Abrams, that certainly was going on. But for the most part, we don't really believe that most of these police departments or any per particular police officer was involved in the disappearance or was involved in the cover-up, although that has been a topic from time to time. But there are so many guests because their experiences are so negative that they start thinking, is the police in on this? Is there some sort of cover-up and everything else? And then it takes me to come along and tell them, you know what? It's pretty common. Whether it's a state police department, a city, local police, um, county sheriffs, or whatever else, this is just how things are. It's horrible, but this is where we are. 
And I can tell you that a lot of these guests, although they find it disgusting too, a lot of times they're very relieved to hear that, oh, this isn't odd. This is par for the course. It's horrible, but now I'm not so paranoid. I wish I had it, you know, and I think I did maybe a good explanation of that right now, but I can't hit it solid every time that this topic comes up. Because a version of this did come up in my interview uh, with the director. Like I said, I cannot get into the specifics. And I felt like I kind of um, let my point of view down. And that's something that is sticking with me uh, because I think I can say this. I can say this publicly, you know, because I've said it before. Steve Pankey, although weird, and I don't think he's even that great of a guy and everything else, he's he is unusual, but he's not rare. And we have to remember the definitions of unusual and rare are different. They have different definitions. They only sometimes mean the same thing. But really, you know, there are millions and millions. In fact, all of us, I guess, in one way are unusual. But we, when we get to the definition of rare, it's something different. And this is a hard concept, I think, for a lot of people to understand that don't know a lot about a lot of different dif- disappearances. And this is why I continue to why I've continued to say Steve might have absolutely killed Janelle, but let's not think he did it just because he's weird, or because certain people who don't know a lot about disappearances think he's weird, think he's one of a kind, and all these other things. He's not. Has anybody been to Reddit or Web Sleuths? Or any sort of other chat place, people talking about all their theories and uh, regarding Mara Murray, Jennifer Cassie, Brian Schaefer, and all these other well-known disappearances, all these people spinning yarns out there. So this was something uh, that I came away uh, from the interview last Wednesday. One of those things feeling had a lot of other feelings, Leah. But um I I have it written in my notes for tonight's show. I still have a lot to learn about communicating my experiences to the uneducated public. All right. Now, for all of you, you get it. You're listening to Unfound every week. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Guests, thank you as well. You're tuning into this live show. And so, although we've never met most of you, I've never met most of you. You know what kind of how my head works. We may agree, we may disagree, but you know that I bring a lot of experience when I talk about disappearances, but because you're involved. But imagine somebody hearing me talk for the first time that doesn't know anything about disappearances. You know, I'm going to sound really, really weird if I don't have a chance to explain to them all of my experiences of the the last seven years. Another thing that is frustrating to me is that too many people in the, in the, what I would, once again, I'm not saying they're stupid, very intelligent people, 
but they don't take a deep interest in disappearances or even true crime. That, but when they do run across something and, you know, something when it becomes very, very big, like Gabby Petito or something, um, they don't realize that analyzing these things is no different than being an engineer or an accountant or anything else. I mean, everybody is entitled to their opinion, at least in the United States. That doesn't mean everybody's opinion is equal. You know, I certainly have my opinions about physics. I've been taking a physics class since sophomore year at Grove City College, which may have been, uh, you know, 33 years ago. I take an interest in physics. In fact, my dad, I was just talking to my dad about the speed of light today. I take an interest in physics, but surely I could never be a professor or anything. I have an opinion on physics, but certainly my opinion on physics is not the same as some doctorate, some who got a, somebody who has a doctorate in physics. The problem we have in true crime is everybody, nobody seems to get the idea that just you know, disappearance or disappearance is like any complex topic. You have to study it to know what you're talking about. You can certainly have an opinion and you're entitled to that. But it is amazing to me, uh, not just with what kind of went on last Wednesday, but this is something that's very common to me, that it's sometimes people who I talk to, like families, maybe people who don't end up on the podcast, I'm trying to offer them my experience of 300-some disappearances, and they're like, well, you know, you really can't relate to me. You don't know what we've been through. Well, it's true. I've never had a disappearance in my family. That's true. But. So. This is. Uh, I find this. This area to be a very difficult place for me. Um, not enough people at this point understand. That. Disappearances are something that need to be studied. If you're going to talk about them. Uh intelligently and so when i'm questioned about my opinions let's just say for example on steve's uh, guilt i have to use my disappearance experience when i respond whereas everybody else who is responding is just responding because he's weird and, and these things and as i would say that's not proof so, like I said, I still have a lot to learn about communicating my experiences, my disappearance experiences to the uneducated public. I do not feel that um, I did that very well when I was interviewed. Now, who knows how it's going to be edited? Who knows? It very well could have been that I did the most perfect interview ever. And depending on how they edit it, I could come off, you know, looking like a complete a-hole. Or completely dumb or whatever. It's totally in the editor's hands now. So it might not have even made a difference. But I'm just looking at myself. My own performance. And. Um, I, I just came away. Maybe a, a bit unsatisfied. It could say some other things. But I'm not allowed to. So there you go. What is uh, everybody. Uh, saying uh, like this. Um,
Uh, is going to start. I am not going to do anything regarding disc golf. There's no way I, I could ever be educated on that to talk about it. Patty, what's going on? Uh, Hazel likes the hat. Um, thank you, Marty. Charlotte, I really don't know what, what I believe in Steve Pankey's case. You're allowed to feel that way, Charlotte. Hello, Veronica. What's going on? So that was a huge part. Um, of uh last wednesday and i've had a chance to talk to uh my nephew charlie who's in the chat about it of course more one-on-one um i can reveal a few things in private uh but i cannot do uh anything in this public forum because once again uh just not supposed to do that also had a chance to talk to my brother brian uh, about some of the things that went on, and it, it would, and it was good to uh, vent. Uh, Kenny Main said they leave so much out of interviews for TV show Charlotte. So, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, they interviewed me for an hour and forty-five minutes, and surely it's not. I'm not going to be on there for an hour and forty-five minutes. Uh, in this, I think it's going to be a three-part series, three-episode series, probably going to be an hour long. I mean, an hour and 45 minutes would then be over 50%. I mean, they don't do interviews there like I do, where if I talk to somebody for two hours, you get to hear all two hours. That's not usually how it's done. So, um, but they treated me fantastically. Uh, The flights were great. The hotel was great, except for the, the hot water on Thursday morning. Um, the food at the hotel was great. Um, you know, they, uh, they paid me to, I didn't pay, get paid to be there because they couldn't do that, but they did. Um, I was paid a licensing fee so they can use the entire interview and I've given them all or copies of the, 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 the letters between me and Steve back and forth and all of that. And I appreciate all of it. Um, I, uh, I just wish, I think, uh, you know, it's, you, you find out it's hard, you know, and this is one of the reasons that we don't do off the top of the head interviews for unfound. This is another thing that I learned from taught, you know, being interviewed off the top of my head for an hour and 45 minutes. There are reasons. So, um, so I didn't get any agenda or anything before I showed up. It was just, just I sat down and he started asking me questions. Well, of course, they can edit it whatever, however they want. But as all of you know, even for Steve Pankey, he even got an interview outline. And I, I've treated all the guests who've been on and found the same, all interview outlines. And that was one of those things I've done. Oh, so that's why I use that interview outlines. I get it now. So uh, there you go. Ashley, Merry Christmas uh, to you. Um, Hazel, have the suit picks made an appearance yet? Well, they have on my, um, they have on my uh, face uh, page on Facebook, but I can show you one, uh, Hazel. Let me uh, pull one up here uh, very quickly for a moment, and then we'll move on to some other things. Um, Let me find this. Hold on just a second. Here's a picture of me um, from left to right. It goes 
Is it going to be left or right for you? I don't know. Uh, my brother Brian, myself, my sister, and my brother Michael. So there you go. Uh, did I lose? Oh, there we go. I'm going to try to keep it up. So there we are. Uh, you can know we're made. So the guy beside me is my brother Brian, who lives with me close to me in Florida. That's the guy who picks me up at the airport and took me to the airport. We're on a trivia team together. Then my sister, Diane, of course, she's the woman in the picture. And then my brother, Michael, is on the other side uh, of her. And uh, this is a picture taken on Friday at my sister's 50th wedding uh, anniversary. They they did their vows again, and uh, it was really nice. This was done in uh, Catanning, Pennsylvania, which coincidentally is only about 20 minutes from where I grew up in Leechburg. So there you go, uh, Hazel and everybody else. Um, there you go. And yes, my brothers are wearing tuxedos. Uh, I did not wear a tuxedo. I just wore a regular suit. All right, so there you go. That's uh, a picture of me. Uh, so that's what I look like in a suit. Uh, who knows, uh, when I may wear a suit again, I just don't know. Uh, I was thinking that I don't think I've worn a suit since my mother died. In fact, my dad was saying the same thing. He doesn't think he's worn a suit since my mother died over four or five years ago. Um, <laughs> Valerie's saying to Charlie, my, uh, my nephew is in the chat. Uh, tell us Charlie. Yeah. Charlie got a little more of the back, got a lot more of the backstory on Colorado than I can say. But he knows, uh, Charlie knows. Um, Veronica, uh, yeah, Cherie, nice, thank you. There you go, uh, nice. Good-looking family, Ed. Yes, uh, thank you, uh, Lisa. I would never, um, well, I could talk about my brother's ages, I suppose. They wouldn't mind, but then that would reveal my sister's age, and she would mind. Let's just say they're all in fantastic shape their ages if you're looking at them and saying wow they look great they do uh for their ages for sure i could only be as fortunate when i get to that age um and thank you charlotte well now he has a sponsor as well out of texas i'm not sure what you're talking about stitching uh valerie forgot to say you look nice in a suit even though you disliked wearing it yeah i couldn't wait to uh um, just to give you an idea, uh, we drew my dad and I drove over there. I didn't put on the tie and the suit jacket till I got out of the car at the, at the place. And then after when my dad and I left, I took the suit jacket off and the tie before I got back in the car. Um, yeah, yeah. Facebook. That's right. For some reason I thought it was yesterday. Well, yesterday we all got together, uh, for Christmas being that everybody's here and my sister Diane's. Marty, you look sharp, Ed. Oh, Marty, behave. So let's move on uh, to some other stuff. Uh, I can tell you this um, not going to be an unfound now uh, for this month. Going to kind of take uh, the month off regarding that. Uh, of course, they usually come out at the end of the month. And there will also not be a found episode for all Patreon people. Just once again, just going to kind of ease into the rest of the year in addition to the fact that i'm up here seeing my dad and that's just is going to give me uh some more work that will take me away from spending 
some more uh, time with him. Let's move on to the big, uh, big, big news. Um, I guess in one way I'm surprised, but uh, in a not. Once again, this is one of those things, as a disappearance person, uh, maybe a lot of people are really, 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 really shocked about this, but I'm kind of surprised, but not surprised about the story uh, that I'm about to talk about. What's the men's warehouse may be looking at sponsoring Unfound if this keeps up. <laughs> Rockford is here all week, uh, everyone. Be sure to tip your waiters and waitresses. Uh, you'll email me later. Okay, Stitching, you can do that. All right. This uh, next article is in relation to um, the disappearance of Donald Irwin. This is a disappearance that Unfound featured in 2018, maybe late 2017 or twenty uh, late or early 2018, somewhere in there. Uh, a car link, this is out of Camdenton, Missouri. A car link to a man who went missing 10 years ago in central Missouri was recovered recently from a pond in the county where he was last seen, authorities said. The sheriff's office called the discovery of a, a major break in the missing person's case of Donald L. Irwin, who disappeared at the end of December of 2013, so almost exactly 10 years ago in Camden County, which is in the Ozarks. Uh, his sister Yvonne was the guest. In fact, I did talk to her. I'll, I'll tell you what she had to say after I read this. Irwin was last seen around 9.30 a.m. on December 29th, 2013, according to the bulletin describing his case. At the time, he was driving a silver 2002 Hyundai Elantra with a Missouri license plate MK6E3P. On Saturday, so two days ago, a light-colored passenger car with a license plate matching Irwin's was pulled from a pond on private property in a section of the county called Camdenton. And that's, if you go back and listen to the episode, that's where he lived. Investigators had determined that the vehicle is Irwin's Elantra, and the sheriff's office said his family was notified of the development. Deputies and detectives from the sheriff's office were able to pull it from the private pond with the help of a fire protection district dive team. Only after it was initially, initially spotted by a freelance videographer and drone pilot who took an interest in Irwin's disappearance and began to investigate independently. The videographer, James Hinkle, contacted the owner of the property where the small pond is located earlier this month, hoping to probe the area more thoroughly after believing his drone had spotted a submerged car in the water while flying overhead. Authorities said Hinkle received permission from the property owner to search the area on foot and by kayak, which is how he discovered the Elantra. Hinkle shared a video of the search and discovery to his YouTube channel, Echo Divers. I will admit I've not seen the uh, video yet. Irwin was 59 years old when he disappeared. Authorities have described him as standing 5'8", with brown hair uh, and brown eyes. On the day he was last seen, Irwin wore a blue coat, blue jeans, and gray loafers. He was missing his left leg above the knee and had a scar from his left elbow to his left wrist. The missing person's bulletin for Irwin noted that he might be using crutches if he were to be found. Investigators were processing the recovered Elantra for evidence on Monday and searching both the pond and surrounding area for any human remains. So yes, the car was found. His remains, his body, his remains were not in it. In their news release, the office thanked all the law enforcement officers, firefighters, and and volunteers who have helped investigate this case over the past 10 years. Um, So most importantly, 
The body was not in the car. This, thus, this is not like uh, Esther Westenbarger's, where her her car was found after many, many years, almost about the same time, about 10 years. And she was in the car. Now, I have I had not talked to Yvonne, his sister, in quite a long time, some years. And so I thank her for responding to me, even though I messaged her out of nowhere today after I read the news. So if you're Yvonne, Yvonne, you're out there, I appreciate you getting back to me, even though I know we haven't spoken in a while. Um, there's some things she could tell me and some things she could not tell me that she was not allowed to say. What she did say was that where the car was found was not near where his phone last pinged. And I'll get into uh, the details in a bit. bit, If some of you forget Donald's uh, or haven't even listened to the episode yet, the car was within five miles of his home. And uh, there was a suspicion. I don't know. Maybe it's going to end up being true or not. But I think if you were to go back and listen to that episode, you would find that Yvonne, the way she talked about Donald's disappearance, would lead the the listeners to believe that uh, her family thought that uh, the woman in Donald's life had something to do with it. Um, There was some party going on, partying going on there. I think that Donald had been telling his family about how Yvonne was inviting other men over. And really, the details of his disappearance, the story does not about this uh, going back up to this. Uh, Erwin was last seen around 9.30 a.m. on December 29th, 2013. I think that story actually, unfortunately, comes from somebody who is not reliable. So there's that. Um, there were, there were some things going on and unfortunately all today, uh, I did not have a chance to go back and look at my notes, which is certainly on one, some of these, one of these external hard drives that I brought with me. I take them everywhere when I travel because you have to remember after seven years uh, of doing unfound, uh, I've gone through some hard drives and filling up hard drives. So I've had to dump everything onto external hard drives by uh, this point, both like the episodes, the MP3 files, the GarageBand files, any docs, any interview outlines and everything. Everything's been put onto external hard drives at this point. Uh, I'm sure my notes are on one of these external hard drives. Unfortunately, I didn't have time to look at it today. Uh, I did ask Yvonne what the exact location was. And uh, she's not allowed to tell me. I'm not saying locals don't know. I'm not saying that it might it might be posted out there somewhere. Maybe even in this video from Echo Divers on their YouTube channel. Maybe it's even mentioned there. Like I said, I've not had a chance to watch the video. But um, Yvonne, uh, I don't was not allowed to reveal the exact location. Had she, I would have done a Google Map sometime before the show started tonight and um, tried to. Th- figure out is it possible that he just ran off the road and this was an accident like Esther Westenbarger's or could it be somebody was trying to get rid of the car and hide it without knowing the exact location it's hard to say I even Yvonne um, said it's kind of hard to say even though she did not give me the exact location now of course 
if they search this entire pond, I don't know how big this pond is. I don't, I don't even know where it is. I don't know if it's an acre. Is the pond an acre in coverage? Three acres? I don't know how, how big, you know, how, when does a pond become a lake? I don't know. But um, surely if uh, there are no remains are found in the water there, then we have to start thinking this was foul play. That certainly would certainly move up to um, theory number one. I mean, is it possible that uh, Donald pushed his own vehicle into the pond? I guess. And wanted to run off or something? I guess. But you'd think if he was going to do that, he would have driven a lot farther than five miles uh, from his home to do that. So if his remains are not found in that pond, got to believe this is foul play. And of course, it would mean that his remains are elsewhere. On the other hand, I think uh, if his remains are found in the pond, then what does that mean? How would his remains have gotten out of the car or something? Did he... Did he, was he driving and it was an accident and he tried to swim his way out and drowned and that's how then his remains got out? Maybe, I don't know. So I don't know how deep this pond is. I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. But I think it makes sense that if his remains were not found in that pond that this has this almost has to be foul play. Um, and if you're wondering, um, if you're wondering, uh, you know, where does this fall uh, in Unfound's history of disappearances and the stats, uh, as I've said before, Unfound has covered very, very few disappearances where the person and a car went missing at the same time. Not very many. Uh, I would say it's under 5%. Of all of the disappearances that we've covered have also missing cars. Of course, a couple of those cars were found, like Esther Westenbarger with her in it. Of course, Eric Franks' car was found. He's still not been found. And you can go um, Harry Milligan. Um, what are uh, some of the other ones? But, you know, my impression is that Maybe Donald Irwin's, because I really have not, I have to admit, I've not mentioned Donald that often over the last so many years. But uh, his is one with a car that was missing too, and now the car has been found. Uh, Audrey Heron is another one where a car is missing. Uh, So that's just to name a few. Uh, Jansen Brewer, Daniel Braden is one where a vehicle is still missing. So... But like I said, uh, not that many, I think. And I've talked about this before. Um, you know, given between chaos divers and adventures with purpose and everything, I think it gives the public a very skewed idea about how many disappearances involve cars. You'd think it was like 50%. Whereas given that we've covered a lot of different demographics and a lot of diversity of the people who we've covered or featured on Unfound, it's like a 5% type of disappearance, not 50%. So um, am I surpri- I'm not surprised uh, that the car was in a body of water. I'm not surprised it was so close to where he lived 
Uh, I will just have to say that I'm a little surprised that there were no remains in the car. That's my experience as a missing persons expert, you know, that, that I continued, you know, my continuing education. The general public, like I was talking about earlier, talking about being in Colorado, uh, I'm sure the average person who doesn't know a lot about disappearances would see something like this and think something totally different. And unfortunately, they probably would be wrong. So uh, there you go. Uh, yeah, Hazel, no remains in the car. Uh, Marty says this month went by super fast. Uh, yeah, the last decade has gone by very fast, Marty. Um, Lisa says, uh, look at you, Lisa, March 23rd, 2018 was the date Ed aired, uh, Donnie Irwin's episode. I'm listening again. I'm familiar with that area and also dated a one-legged man for nine years. Wow, Lisa, look at you. Hazel says, oh, remains not in the cart. Nope. Uh, Facebook user. Thank you for the complimenting my Santa look. Charlotte, Ed, what do you think about the Australian woman who was exonerated in the cases of her baby's deaths? Uh, unfortunately, Charlotte, I Maybe saw the headline, but I've not read anything in depth. I have a comment uh, at this time. Kathleen Fulvig, just have not really read up on it, Charlotte. Sorry about that. In my view, Missouri takes the cake when it comes to states with the most unusual disappearances, true crime cases. I would like uh, your reasoning for that, Rockford. Hazel, if Irwin's remains, remains aren't found in the pond, then it must be foul play, Hazel says. Only slight chance he may have left his life and disposed of Cara's wealth. Yeah, especially for a guy, Donnie had a lot of health issues going on. Um, he only had one leg. He needed crushes. Yeah. Uh, as you said, remember, he was handicapped too, right, Kathy? Okay. Uh, all right, Charlotte. There you go. Sorry I couldn't answer that question for you. All right. Uh, let's move on. Um, and I just want to remind you again, there will be no Unfound Live next Monday because it's Christmas Day, but there will be an Unfound Live for New Year's Day, so in two weeks. I now um, want to read to you uh, the statement uh, that was issued by um, local law enforcement regarding Jason Landry's disappearance, given that we just passed the, what is it, the three-year up... Um, Three-year mark, and I want to thank my assistant, Cherie, for uh, letting me know that this uh, was uh, public. So this comes from Austin. Three years ago this week, uh, a Texas college student named Jason Landry disappeared. Attorney General Paxton in the office of the Attorney General Cold Case and Missing Persons Unit wished to reaffirm their unwavering commitment to this investigation and to pursuing all pursuing all credible information received from the public. Mr. Landry, a student at Texas State University, was last seen on December 13th, 2020. Mr. Landry's abandoned vehicle was discovered in the early morning hours of December 14th on a rural roadway just outside of Lolling, Texas. I hope I pronounced that right. Since receiving a request for investigative assistance from the Caldwell County District Attorney's Office and the Caldwell County Sheriff's Office in February 2022, the Office of the Attorney General, Cold Case and Missing Persons Unit, has dedicated hundreds of hours of investigative resources in this case. This includes conducting extensive forensic testing, issuing numerous search warrants, interviewing dozens of witnesses, and enlisting the assistance of experts 
with a wide range of specialized backgrounds from multiple government agencies and nonprofit organizations. That's funny. They never contacted me. In November, November 2023, the OAG Cold Case and Missing Persons Unit hosted an extensive roundtable case review of the Landry investigation alongside experts in digital forensics, geospatial sciences, data mapping, criminal intelligence, and other relevant fields, a, fields from agencies including the FBI, the Texas Rangers, and the Department of Public Safety, Texas Search and Rescue, the Caldwell County District Attorney's Office, and the Travis County Constable's Office, Precinct 3. Once again, never contacted me. Uh, the panel thoroughly examined all parts of the case and concluded that all credible leads and investigative steps have been thoroughly pursued up to this point. The Texas OAG's cold case and missing persons unit considers this man- ma- uh, matter to be an ongoing and active investigation, encourages uh, anyone with credible information about the case to con- contact the unit at uh, texasattorneygeneral.gov forward slash cold case tips. Our thoughts remain with the Landry family during this difficult time. Of course, his disappearance, then unfound featured at the beginning of 2023. Um, Jason's father was the guest. You might also remember going way back that uh, on John Lord's YouTube channel, he asked me to co-host an episode with him, which was fun, where we uh, originally interviewed uh, Kent Landry. And then, like I said, uh, Kent came on to unfound in early 2023. Uh, I can, I'm just going to, there's nothing that I read in that statement. uh, Nothing that I've heard uh, since the episode aired almost a year ago to change my mind that um, Jason Landry, um, unfortunately is deceased and that he is somewhat what I would call in somewhat the immediate area of where, um, his car was wrecked. I think uh, going back to the Jamie Lee, it's amazing how many compliments I got about doing the math for everybody in that episode. I didn't think I didn't see that coming, but I think doing the math, like I did in the summation for Jamie Lee's disappearance, shows you how making just a one percent mistake over and over and over and over again can add up. It's still just 1%. But like I said, when you're talking about going out so many miles in each direction, and suddenly you're talking about if you miss 1% of the area, it is a huge area. You can say it's only 1%, but it's still a huge area. And, you know, of course, on top of that, the numbers, it's the numbers, um, what is it? Exponential. Uh, you know, they get exponentially large. And the human mind, although we're all very intelligent people, we underrate uh, this kind of how much difficult something can get the bigger and bigger that it gets. So, especially when it comes to searches. Well, we got 500 people out there. That's enough. Yeah, until you start crunching the numbers when you want to talk about how many square miles you're going to cover and everything else, then 500 people doesn't sound that impressive. And it's not. And not all of those 500 people are going to be similarly motivated. And some people are just out there for the heck of it and on and on and on. And there's too much reliance on technology of 
drones and everything else. I think that, uh, you know, searches that are successful, it's all about um, putting boots on the ground. Although with Donald Irwin, that was different. I guess his vehicle was originally seen from the air, but that's a vehicle. That's not a body. Got to remember that. A car, even those little, little mini, mini cars are way bigger than a person. Got to remember that. So I still stick to my original theory that Jason is in the immediate area. No, I can't explain why he hasn't been found in that immediate area. But the stats say that's where he is. And I've seen no evidence to believe that he's outside the immediate area. I haven't heard of anything about any of these searches that says that they found something that could be credibly connected to Jason. In contrast to, I'm not saying you have to believe this, but surely like with Jamie Lee from a week and a half ago, being that that pattern, the shoe pattern was found in the core, you want to doubt it. You want to think that it was just some wishful thinking and everything else. Well, that's still more than anything they found out of the side, the immediate area for Jason's disappearance. So um, it's uh, it's a stumper, but I think uh, I think the stats are very uh, solid on, on this. Um, very solid. Uh, Rockford says Springfield three Kent Highholt murder. Branson Perry for starters. I, of course, know the Springfield three. The other two are not familiar to me, Rockford. Hey, so Charlotte, I knew a little bit about that story. I believe her baby's... A, okay, talking about Australia. Yeah, speaking of Springfield three, what do you think about light globe being shattered and three women would have been barefoot and no blood on doorstep? Sheree, no one takes it personally, but it's not the first Texas AG has spewed BS. Sorry, I don't time me out. <laughs> Sheree, I won't even let you time out yourself. Um, yeah. Texas AG. Yeah, Texas AG. When we know what you're talking about, Sheree. Uh, isn't that part of every AG's job description? Rockford getting going there. Rockford, that's my... Okay, it's talking about uh, the Springfield 3 uh, some more, and then Sheree agreeing with Rockford. So that's... Um, the Jason Landry statement moving on uh, speaking, going back to Steve Pankey for a moment. Uh, I did send him, I'll send him another letter. It'd been a while since I'd send him a letter. Uh, since I sent him the, my last letter, I think he sent me five of them. I did take uh, the most recent two uh, out to Colorado. I left them sealed so I could open them in the company of the crew. And really neither letter was um, that impressive. Uh, not a lot of information and everything. In fact, I think one of them was just, Steve just listed his favorite books. I have no idea. I will tell you though, that he's been moved. Uh, he is not now in, he's not in the same jail he was from this past summer. In fact, in the last letters that I got from him from some weeks ago, he actually told me, uh, that he was being moved, and he was saying it because people in the jail were after him. Whether you want to believe that, that's up to you. But he has been moved from one jail to another jail in, in a totally uh, different city. And if you, if you ever, I mean, you should know. I mean, anybody can find out where he is. You can go to the state of Colorado website, 
and you can do an inmate search and it'll tell you where any inmate is, even in, you know, they have that supermax prison out there. You know, they'll tell you where, where any inmate is. So you can do that for your, for your, on your own. And the, the website has been updated. It does now show where Steve is, I guess would say the second place that he's been. All right. Um, let's move on to this. I wanted to talk about this boy, uh, in France, we're going across the Atlantic for this one. This boy uh, who was found, or should I say he uh, revealed who he was six years after he disappeared. It's one more reminder of why I shy away from um, these uh, child disappearances. I try to be somewhat, somewhat discriminating. Uh, in a good way, the the good use of the word discriminating um, with these kinds of cases. Six years after he disappeared with his mother and grandfather, Alex Batty, B-A-T-T-Y, was finally found by a student working as a delivery driver in the foothills of the Pyrenees in southwestern France. This is kind of down near um, uh, Spain, uh, that area. It was the middle of the night, and Fabian Asadini was taking medicines to local pharmacies near the village of Chalabre. I know I just, I'm just going to pronounce it like it is in English. I'm not going to attention attempt any French here. Uh, rain was falling when he drove past a young man walking at the side of an unlit mountain road at about 3 a.m. on Wednesday. The Toulouse student did not know it yet, but he had stumbled on a 17-year-old who decided to abandon his mother's life in an internet spiritual commune in the search of his grandmother in England. When his mother decided she was moving to Finland, he realized it was time to leave. He had already been walking in the Pyrenees for four days and four nights, sleeping by day and walking mainly by night to escape being seen. So he's escaping. Uh, All he had was $100 in euro in cash, no mobile phone. He was heading for Toulouse, he fed on anything he could find in fields and gardens. If you don't know what Toulouse is, actually, that's where uh, the um, the Concorde crashed at the airport in Toulouse. T O U L O U L T O U L O U S E. That airport is the one that the Concorde was taking off. I think when it crashed, the boy was blonde, quite tall, wearing a white sweater and black jeans, was using a torch, a flashlight in the dark. He had a skateboard under his arm and a rucksack, rucks, rucksack on his back. Was, uh, the student was intrigued. What was the young man doing in the middle of the night in the rain? He drove back and offered the teenager a lift. The boy climbed in. To start, with, to start with, he called himself Zach and came across as quite shy. We tried to speak in French, but he noticed his French wasn't great. And I decided to speak to him in English. We talked to, for more than three hours. He very quickly revealed his true identity, Alex Batty. Then told me a story described how his mother had kidnapped him when he was 12. Melanie Batty's and Alex's grandfather, David Batty, had traveled from Greater Manchester in England for a week-long uh, holiday in Marbella in September 2017. French pros- prosecutors have since filled in some of the gaps in his uh, six-year odyssey, having talked to the teenager. From the south of Spain, the trio headed for Morocco and spent two to three years pursuing a nomadic lifestyle, spending a few weeks here and a few weeks there. They had already had a taste of that alternative existence during a visit to Morocco in 2014. Alex Batty told the delivery driver that they headed north into France after leaving for a while in a commune, or living for a commune, in a commune of about 10 people in a luxurious house in Spain. 
By now, it was late 2020 or 2021. He and his mother had joined a slightly odd spiritual commune far from a normal lifestyle. And the Pyrenees, what followed were two years of a strange nomadic existence mixing with numerous families from Canada, Spain, and India. There was apparently a, <coughs> a phobia around certain elements of the life that meant the family would travel in a community of around 10 people. They survived doing odd jobs and gardening going from place to place with little more than their homegrown uh, vegetables and Melanie Batty's prized solar panels. Through all these years, this young man went through life carrying solar panels, deciding only to travel by car sharing, always in places where there were big houses and several families coming in and going out. Never the same Alex Batty made no mention of his grandfather, Fabian Asadini, and French prosecutors believe, or made no mention of his grandfather to Fabian Asadini. And French prosecutors believe he may have died about six months ago. Um, Alex said he really did not know where he had been living, only that it was somewhere in the mountains of the French side of the Spanish border in the regions uh, of the Eastern Pyrenees. Fabian said he realized who his pastor was by searching for his name on the Internet. The teenager was thirsty, had money, but no phone. His first words to her for six years were very brief to his grandmother. Hello, Grandmother. It's me, Alex. I am in France, Toulouse. I really hope that you receive this message. I love you. I want to come home. The student told French TV that the teenager felt relieved to have escaped. He didn't want to spend his whole life in that commune. He wanted to have a real life with a real future. When his mother announced she wanted to move to Finland, Alex decided the nomadic lifestyle was no longer for him. They realized uh, the prosecutors realized he had no formal schooling and little experience of technology, although he came across as composed and intelligent. He never used the word cult. <laughs> only spiritual community. That's funny. Fabian said there was no sense that he had been locked up in any way and was free to leave. Alex's intended destination appeared to be an embassy in, in a big French city, but the student instead contacted Gendarmerie. I don't know how to spell Gendarmerie, the French military police. He drove to Revel just out of, man, I'm going to kill that. I'm not going to say that word. I'll kill it. And left him with local uh, policemen who checked his identity and took him to Toulouse before he finally heads back to the UK this weekend. So there you go. This is one more reason I don't, I really, really avoid child disappearances. Now this one, this would have been an easy one to avoid because I think it's fairly obvious from the beginning that is mother and grandfather, I guess the mother's father, took him. Uh, what is unclear, though, it's not in this article. Maybe it is in some other article written about it. Of course, there's many, many articles that have been written about this. Was there some sort of uh, custody thing regarding this? And that's why the mother ran off uh, to avoid custody arrangements or something. I think that's a pretty good guess, although I've not read anything about um, uh, about that. What also we should remember about this is when we start talking about sex trafficking. And I'm going to say this again. I realize that this, this movie this year brought a lot of attention to sex trafficking. That's not a bad thing. But you have to remember that when kids go missing and kids get abducted and kids get into sex trafficking and everything else, it's usually motivated by the parents, not by strangers. We could talk, we could certainly talk about Jacob Wetterling, uh, for example, uh, being picked up by a total stranger when he's two of his uh, two buddies. 
They're, they're on their bikes. They're out together. That guy comes up. Surely was bad luck, bad timing, wrong place, wrong time. Certainly happened that way. I've never heard any information to say that this guy was actually stalking Jacob or, or anything. But those are the exceptions. Those are the exceptions. This is one of the things, one of those things going back to my experience in Colorado and how I wish I need to become more versed, better at explaining what's up in my head to the layperson. Um, this is another one of those topics that you talk to the general public, you start talking about sex trafficking, they're going to think it's like strangers just picking kids up you know, up all the time, every day, strangers picking kids up and just driving around, picking kids up, picking kids up, picking kids up. It happens. But that's not a majority of the cases when it comes to kids disappearing and kids getting abducted and kids going, being forced into sex trafficking and and all that stuff. It's the parents. It's very sad. It's I, I can't, I just, I don't know what else to say about it. So here you have another uh, example Boy goes missing, mother took him to another country. I guess several other countries. Well, just not another country. They were in England. They went across the English Channel. In fact, they went across the Mediterranean Mediterranean Sea as well to get to Morocco. And then came back to France. So they were traveling, I guess, by boat or whatever else. He's missing. So... It's uh, very sad, uh, but this is one of those topics. The public's uh, perception is, uh, of it is wrong. Uh, let's. Uh, Alex Batty's story is crazy, Hazel says. That's uh, your part of the world, Hazel, right? England. Kathy Rock for me. Okay. Uh, at least he hadn't been subject to stranger abduction. Could have had way worse trajectory. Yeah, I guess you could say that maybe it was good that his his mother took him. If it had been a stranger or something, he probably would most likely be dead. I guess that's the one upside to it. Uh, but that might be the only upside. Um, but because there's a lot of parents killing their own children out there too. Uh, Alex's grandmother's in the UK is over the moon. He'll be home for Christmas. Yeah. It's what a, what a fantastic Christmas present. Now I'm wondering wherever the mother is, what she's saying about all this is, is she in hiding now? Is she going to be charged with anything? Are they going to try to track her down? This particular article didn't say so. Maybe some article, other article does talk about that. His grandmother had legal custody of Alex. That's why she absconded with him. Okay, Hazel filling in some of the blanks being that this is a, a British story. Um, all right, so the mother did take the son. It was uh, going outside of the custody rules. Interesting. Um, yeah, I read that both of Alex's parents were denied custody initially. Thank you, Sheree. Uh, mom, Sheree says, is MIA and Ferry saying, uh, unfortunately, I guess when I commented that most of these child disappearances caused by the parents, uh, I, I, you know, I, of course, we're all here because of parents. We're all here. And we know that most parents are pretty good not perfect but most parents are pretty good and then we have all the other parents very sad so that's uh that story i want to now go back to um all right let's let's go over this 
Matthew Grant, do you see since last Sunday or last Monday that he has been found alive? Probably somewhat surprised by this, um, especially given the amount of time uh, that he went missing to then be found. And so I'm going to read this story and maybe all of you um, want to uh, comment and see what you think about, have to say about this in the chat. Rockford says, I tend to avoid child disappearances too, but for some reason, the ones that occur in the woods, parks, et cetera, get to me. Then you have the ones like Tika Lewis, Tacoma, where it's not parents for sure. Yeah, I mean, there's certainly disappearances where the parents weren't involved. I mean, certainly. But it's not as high a percentage uh, as everybody thinks. Uh, Matthew Grant, a Rochester Institute of Technology student from Michigan who disappeared just before Thanksgiving, says he is grateful after being found safe in Pennsylvania. So given the circumstances, that is an odd word to use. Grateful. Matthew Grant, 22, was last seen driving away from his off-campus home in Henrietta, New York, on November 20th. So just keep in mind, that's almost a month ago now. Before he vanished for weeks without his phone or wallet. I want to say a huge thank you to everyone that helped in the search process. I feel incredibly grateful to have people like you all in my corner. Grant said in a statement shared by family on Thursday, it's hard to understand just how much support you will have, regardless of how you were doing personally. I'm doing much better now that I'm reunited with my family. It means the world to me. I don't have my phone right now, but as soon as I do, I'll try and thank every person I can individually. I can't say it enough. Thank you so much. You know, he's making it sound like he got abducted. The Monroe County Sheriff's Office in New York confirmed that Grant had been located and reunited with his family, a statement shared with Fox News Digital. Thank you all the deputies and investigators who work so tenaciously coordinating with multiple agencies, following up leads, using technology, and working with the family to locate Matthew. We appreciate our partnership with the media who helped spread awareness and our efforts to reunite with his family. On Tuesday, authorities in Delaware Gap, Pennsylvania, located Grant's vehicle and began a grid search near Mount Mincy, which is accessible from the Appalachian Trail on Wednesday. During the search, Grant reportedly learned that authorities were looking for him, and he went to the police station in Palmerton to call his mother and inform her that he was safe. Palmerton is nearly 300 miles from Rochester. National Park Service spokesman, spokesperson Kathleen Sant uh, confirmed the involvement of the U.S. Park Rangers and staff from Delaware Gap National Recreation Area and the Appalachian National Scenic Trail units in the search for Grant. Sant added that Grant reportedly walked into a police station and said he believed believed people were looking for him. And NPS Rangers facilitated the reunion of Grant and his family. Sandra Johnson, RT, Senior Vice President of Student Affairs, thanked the RT community for the steadfast support in locating Grant. Missing RT student, as uh, Matthew Grant has been found safe. When he disappeared, Grant's family suspected he may have gone to the Adirondack Mountains based on his phone search history. The 22-year-old college student apparently told his roommates that he was going to meet up with friends just before he vanished from Rochester. Here's what the feeling that I get from uh, this article. We're never going to know why Matthew did what he did. Unless uh, he and his family are going to get paid big bucks, like by People Magazine or something, uh, because that's how some of those magazines get their stories, by paying the people. Um... 
we're probably never going to know. Once again, going back to the wording that he used, um, it means the world to me. I don't have my phone right now, but as soon as I do, I'll try and thank every person I can individually. I can't thank it, say it enough. Thank you so much. Uh, Did he really not know that people were looking for him? I mean, he knew that he was supposed to be at school. He knew his schedule. He knew what he told his friends and everything else. Um, And then he kind of just strolls into a police station and says, oh, I've heard that people are looking for me. Imagine that. I mean, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to be sarcastic about this, but um, you know, I have it in my notes. This sounds to me as much as information as we have is some sort of cry for help. Yeah, let's just admit it. If he wanted to commit, if he drove off to commit suicide, he would have done it. And, uh, you know, if he wasn't able to do it within a few days of him leaving after November 20th, then he would have concocted some story to come back to civilization well before, like, December 15th or how recently this was. He surely also had to know, being that he knew he was supposed to be in school and he knew where he was supposed to, you know, all these things that he was doing, was supposed to be doing, he knew people would be looking for him. And still, he's down on near the Appalachian Trail without, you know, without his phone and wallet and everything else. Um... Like I said, this sounds to me like a cry for help. No proof of it. This sounds to me like a situation where some people in his life ticked him off. And he was going to get revenge on them by making them feel even worse. That's what it sounds like to me. That's what my seven years of disappearance experience tells me. That he would just suddenly just stroll into uh, a police station and say, oh my gosh, people are looking for me. I can't imagine that. So, uh, like I said, I'm somewhat surprised by this outcome. It certainly sounded to me like uh, Matthew Grant had a plan to uh, maybe leave his life or, or something, at, um, or commit suicide. But the way this all went down here, did he really not? I mean, this story's been out there for how many weeks now? I mean, just basically since November 20th, this story has been out there. And he just comes forward now. Was he living out in the woods? Was he living off the land? What exactly was he doing? Remember that we also have to remember he came up with the story about how somebody drained his bank account. Remember that? So I want to see uh, what everybody's saying here. Um, let's see. Uh, Mom is MIA. Charlotte, sometimes living with family is worse than foster care. It can be, Charlotte. Rockford, I tend to avoid child disappearances. Okay, uh, yeah, um, yeah. 
I'd like to, uh, Shree say, or Charlie says, I'd like to know more about the hippie commune at the Spanish mansion in the mountains. I see you working, Charlie. I see you working. Hazel, wonderful for Matthew's family. He's been found alive. Surprising, but great Christmas for them, I guess. Uh, my guess, Hazel, is this is not the end of this. I mean, we're not going to know, but like I said, it just having read like, uh, what, 10,000 disappearance stories over the last seven years or some crazy number. This sounds to me like some sort of inner family tension going on that we'll probably never know about. Um, <laughs> Charlie is re, re, uh, Charlie is agreeing with Charles. Sheree is agreeing with Charlie. Me too, Charles. I would like to go there. The con, the mansion at the commune. Look at you too. Stitching, uh, Summer Moon. Yeah, all y'all know not something. Someone should say something. There's another child disappearance where, uh, like Stitching saying, a lot of people believe that family is involved. Hey, so I agree with your theory, Ed, that he was tricked by catfish, blackmailed, and was embarrassed and took off for a bit. Very well could be. I was a, a theory that I floated a week ago. Not so sure I feel confident about that theory now. As facts change, theories change. Um, but it probably could still be a possibility. Sure, when I first heard Matthew's case, I thought it was a scam. I can see why, Charlotte. Exasperating as Charlotte, exasperating is a good word for it. Thanks, Rockford. Yes, it is. When I see cases like Grant's, I think drugs are involved. What interests me is how they can inform us about other cases. Yeah. If we, um, and probably once again, unless they get paid big money from people to come forward with their story for some upcoming episode, we're not going to know what happened here. You know, unless uh, some of his friends get the inside story and go to Reddit or or Web Sleuths or something, we're probably never going to know what he was doing and what he was thinking and, and all of this stuff. It's just something about it. Like I said, I, I'm open to the idea that he was intent on committing suicide and didn't have the courage to do it. But he really sat out there in the woods and lived off the land instead for all this time or whatever. Of course, we remember his bank account was drained and like I said last week, either two thing, one of two things happened. Either he got like uh either he got catfished and he got blackmailed or extorted to give up all the money, or he took all his money because he wanted to take off. And it very well could be that he planned on taking off, but then he started thinking more and more about it and he said, This is gonna be too hard. <laughs> And, but still he wanted maybe to make some people suffer. So that's why he just stays where he was for almost 30 days. All right. Uh, moving on, uh, going back a little bit to, let's see what I want to talk about next. Uh, I want to talk about the consult podcast. Uh, I had posted, uh, I don't know how many people took it up took me up on it but there is a podcast called the consult i think it has a longer title as well and their last three episodes that have come out over the past month to six weeks have concerned the disappearance of jody Husentrude. and uh the first episode uh was um and you should know that it's like co-hosts like three or four hosts who talk back and forth 
But on the first episode, they interviewed Caroline Lowe. All of you should know her by now. A friend of Unfound, guest of Unfound twice, once in 2017, and then the next time, I think, in 2020. Uh, the second time uh, being exclusively for Jody Husentrude's disappearance. Um, she was interviewed uh, by them for the first episode. And then in the second episode, they just really analyzed Jody herself, you know, what they've learned about her personality, her upbringing, her. Uh, um, her education, her job, all the people around her, of course, including John Van Sant's, this victimology, looking at her, what kind of victim is she? And then the third episode came out last week. And finally, these people who, um, you know, are former FBI profilers uh, involved in some high profile cases like uh, the Gilgo Beach Killer and others, they use their experience to look at Jody's disappearance to, um, you know, with, you know, to voice their opinions on what happened. And I have to admit, and I told Caroline this, so I, I'm not speaking out of school when I say this. I have to admit, I wasn't really impressed by it. Uh in general, I've voiced my opinion on uh, profilers before that I just, do they really catch people? When we look at the, the profiling, for example, that was done on the original Night Stalker, did any profiling really lead to him being caught? Did any of it really, uh, really narrow down the focus on who the original Night Stalker would be? I have to admit, I got to know um, the cases of the original Night Stalker going back to the 70s and then this last, seemingly last murder in 1986. Got to know it all pretty well. I don't remember any profilers really uh, getting that one right. In fact, what I remember more of was just maybe some lay people, some people who take an interest in serial killers or whatever, you know, throwing out the idea, you know, there are some behaviors by this guy that could lead us to believe that he might have been a cop at one time. And guess what? Those people would have been right or were right. The original Night Stalker, he was a cop at one time. How about that? I just don't know how helpful they are. I'm not necessarily, I, I guess it's sometimes I have called it a pseudoscience. The problem I had with this part three, they're all obviously smart people. I'm not saying they're scam artists or anything like that. I'm not saying that at all. I just don't think that their insight is as uh, influential and as helpful as they think it is. And as stats or history prove that it is. When I was listening to the third episode, if you'd not, if I didn't know that these people were retired FBI officers, I would have never known it. It would have just um, been to me like three random people who are interested in true crime and disappearances and murders getting together and talking. One's an accountant, one's a physics teacher, and one's an engineer. There was nothing that they said 
that really, really, really showed their experience. It seemed like any everything that they were saying could have been said by any educated person person on disappearances that didn't have it as a full-time job. In addition, they they I don't know if maybe they just take for granted that people know who they are. But still, you would think in the process of them analyzing Jody's disappearance that they would say something. Well, I remember back in 2005, I was asked to come in and look at the case file for this missing person. And here's what I discovered. And this is, these are the reasons I find it similar to Jody's. And this was the outcome. They didn't do that once in an hour-long podcast, all of these people who have FBI experience. Whereas, I'll admit, I've never been an FBI agent. All of you know that. But as you've heard me do many, 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 many times, when I talk about disappearances and looking at them, I will bring up other disappearances that have been featured on Unfound. Or, for example, maybe you can look at it this way. Jennifer Kessie. A lot of people believe that she was abducted. A lot of people believe that she went out that morning. Some person or group were waiting for her. She got abducted. They took her car with her in it, took her somewhere. And of course, she is still missing to this day. Whereas what have I said in relation to that? I've seen abduction scenarios and they don't look like Jennifer Kessie's. Why? Well, we know that Jody Husentrude got abducted. She got abducted in the morning a lot earlier than Jennifer Cassie, but still, two women getting up for work, going to work, neither of them make it to work. But you can look at Jody Husentrude and say, oh, that was absolutely an abduction. That's what an abduction looks like. Whereas with Jennifer Cassie, I know what her family thinks. I know what her friends think. I know a lot of people out there think she got abduction, abducted. But there's certainly no proof of that because over here, we know what an abduction looks like. A woman going to work has a purse and phone and everything else, and it's all strewn. Or she didn't have a phone. Maybe, Jody, it was 1995. But still, all hair dryer and everything strewn across the parking lot. With Jennifer Kessie, nothing. Not a thing. Strewn anywhere. None of her possessions were found in the parking lot of her apartment complex. In addition, we could use another example, Linda, Linda K. Carroll. Obviously, somebody went into her house and abducted her. How do we know? Uh, broken things inside, furniture pushed aside. Her, her, part of her hair from her scalp was caught in the door jam. So somebody was dragging her. She hit her head like on this door. You know, the door where like the, the wood meets the frame. And that actually ripped some of her hair off her head. That's how we know. With Jennifer Cassie, we have nothing about this. This is once again why I think about abductions and not. We can maybe look at, you know, is this abduction? Is this not an abduction? You have to look at other disappearances that are abductions or suspected to be abductions due to the, the, the crime scene, I guess you might call it, the, the environment to make that determination. We can look at another one. Maybe we want to go even one step further. Look at the disappearance of uh, Patsy Action, a disappearance that occurred in Clearwater, Florida in 1979, not far from where I live there. Certainly something of a very violent nature happened to her. How do we know? Because the inside of her car, when it was eventually found, was covered with blood. Now see, so 
if I were in their position and I'm being asked, well, what do you think about Jody Hoosentrude and her abduction? I would say, well, you know what? I know about this disappearance, Linda K. Carroll. She was abducted, kind of similar. Now, who probably caused that disappearance? Probably her estranged husband. She was trying to have her own life. She was trying to get divorced from him. She was trying to get custody of the kids. And he seemingly probably came down there and dragged her out and killed her because he was like, no way, you know, you're getting my kids. No way you're leaving me. And the the daughter that Linda Kay had with her husband, to this day insists she might have some sort of memory in that to the point that she might have even been in the car when this all happened. Still a little sketchy on that. But Linda K. Carroll was certainly abducted. So then I would bring up Patsy Action. Was at that hotel, somehow left, was she abducted? I don't know, but certainly there was violence in her car, just like there was violence in Jody's car. Who did that one? It's a mystery. I think a lot of people think that this guy that Patsy Action was involved with, although he seems to have a pretty solid alibi being in a totally different part of Florida. So was Patsy meeting another guy? Was she... Um, you know, was she was she abducted by just a total stranger? Could be, and and as some of you know, I've put the theory out there. Could there have been some sort of serial killer working in the area at the time? Because there were quite a few women who went missing in that time frame, like seventy nine to eighty three, under similar circumstances. There's all these disappearances are still unsolved. So this is how I would go about it. You know, referencing other cases and trying to draw correlations, if I were to do, once again, maybe more a a relevant example, would be like Jennifer Cassie. If I were to get into a discussion with some of the people about her disappearance and the topic of abduction came up and they would say, yeah, I really think this is abduction. I would be like, well, why? Why do you think it was an abduction? And I would go to referencing Jody Hoosentree. Here's an abduction. Here's what an abduction looks like. Stuff strewn all over. Here's what an abduction looks like. Linda K. Carroll, stuff strewn all over her place and hair in the door jam. Here's what another kind maybe of abduction, Patsy Action, blood all over her car. Jennifer Cassie's has none of that. So why do you think it's an abduction? You didn't get any of that in this third episode. So, uh, very, 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 very uh, frustrated. I told Caroline so. And you should know that I also wrote the hosts. <laughs> they have a website. They said we would like comments, insight, and everything else. So I wrote them a nice long email. It was I was nice, but I think I was fairly critical as well. You know, if you're going to do all this analysis of a disappearance, you just can't take for granted that you just can't do trust me. I'm a retired FBI agent. Trust me. I've worked on a lot of cases in my life. Trust me. Well, tell us what those are. We're not looking for any. If these are still unsolved, I get you can't talk about them. But what about the solved ones? Where do you get your insights? Why do you have the opinions that you do? Tell us. Give us some of your experience. You know, because I can guarantee you in a different circumstance, like if it was an engineering show, And, um, you know, some engineers were analyzing why the Leaning Tower of Pisa ended up leaning and didn't stand straight. They'd probably talk about scientific properties, ground properties, 
how that type of building would be built today. They might talk about, well, I remember I was, you know, I worked on this building kind of the same size so many years ago, even though I know that lean power piece was meant built centuries ago. But that's probably how engineers would go about it. You know, they would at least go through all the, uh, the mathematics and uh, physics and, and all of that, the architecture and everything else. This sounded to me like just a bunch of people, lay people sitting around drinking beers, talking about Jody's disappearance. I think the public deserves better more than that. I think it does. Uh, let's see. We go back here. Um, everything. You never did answer my question. Are you going to change it to everything 2024? I'm hoping you do. Uh, did not say family's invited. I'm friends with their mom and dad. Okay. Involved. Uh, I'm friends with their mom and dad. Okay. Stitching. Uh, have you ever said what you think happened to Jody? Uh, I have fairy and I will tell you what I told Caroline Lowe. My opinion, given what I think I know about disappearances is that it was committed by, uh, I think we have to be very open to the idea that this, her abduction was committed by somebody who never committed a crime like that before or since. That this was some sort of one-off, somebody who obsessed on her because she was on TV and everything else, and this person wanted to have her. And it had nothing to do necessarily with um, having a violent mind, although obviously violence was involved. But this was not some sort of the same kind of thinking of like a serial killer or anything. This was somebody who wanted to possess Jody Because if, the, if this the motive was just rape, just rape. Person could have gone up to her apartment, barged in, broken down the door, as a lot of rapists do, raped her and left her there. You didn't have to take her anywhere. Because he waited out there and took her, to me means this was all some uh, fulfilling some sort of a fantasy. To me. And once again, looking at other disappearances. Now, of course, what makes Judy uh, Jody's unique is she was kind of a public figure. Whereas we really haven't covered any uh, disappearances like that. But that's what my, uh, I just think if it was somebody who knew her, the person wouldn't have done it that way. And if this was your just uh, regular run-of-the-mill rapist who knew Jody was there, the person wouldn't have uh, bothered waiting out because she was late and everything. The person just would have immediately gone up at three in the morning, barged in and done it. My opinion. Once again, my experience of uh, other disappearances and talking about other abductions, abductions or non-abductions. Uh, Rockford says, profiling is like sports betting. It can be interesting and lucrative for the few who are good at it, but it doesn't affect the outcome of the game. It certainly does not. Charlotte, I believe Jennifer Kessie was abducted. All right, Charlotte. Uh, Hazel agrees with Rockford. FBI agents have to wear suits to work, so I get, I get why that was a non-starter. Rockford, uh, Ferry, someone could have gotten into her car with her. Charlotte, Ed, if you don't think Jennifer Kessie was abducted, what do you think happened to her? Uh, here's what I think I've learned about disappearances over the last seven years, Charlotte. And I go to Jennifer's phone, the cell phone. Um, what we have learned is that when phones go off, that is when a disappearance starts. And 
Jennifer shut her phone off on that Monday night. It never came back on. Now, she might have shut it off. I don't know what her normal habits were. She might have shut it off because she just got in an argument with her fiance and was afraid he'd call her back. And she was kind of over arguing with him and everything else. These things happen. You're in a relationship, you know, I just can't talk to the person anymore. I'll just talk to him tomorrow. But we have to think about it this way. She shut her off her phone on Monday night. But to believe that she was abducted on Tuesday morning, we have to believe that she got up, picked out her clothes, took a shower, dried her hair, got ready for work, got dressed, did her makeup, had breakfast, got everything together, and went out the door without ever yet turning on her phone. That, and I realized, I know what the argument is. Well, this was 2005. You know, people used uh, their cell phones different back then. That's not how I remember it. I had a cell phone in 2005. That's not how I remember it. We also have to remember that Jennifer was a businesswoman involved in uh, real estate, realtor, working for one of those types of companies. And to me, that's the type of person, when they have a cell phone, they're never far away from it and it's never off because you never know what you might miss. She shut it off on Monday night. It never got turned on 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 Tuesday morning, despite her seemingly doing all of these things, seemingly. So I, I'm under the belief that she went missing on Monday night. I, I continue to believe that there was another guy in her life. And the reason she shut off her phone is because she was going to see this other guy. And that's what happened. I know. It doesn't paint her in the best of lights. But the Kessies keep going on about how that towel was wet. It doesn't mean anything. I have long hair. I live in Florida. If I took a shower on Monday night and dried my hair, uh, Usually, I usually mostly let my hair air dry, so I don't use a towel. But if I really, 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 really want to get it really dry with a towel, that towel will surely still be wet on Tuesday morning, given Florida's climate. That's not that's not proof of anything. So there you go. Hey, so I didn't see your call to listen to the podcast episodes. What's it called? Uh, your call to listen. Um, the consult is uh, the name of that three-part series covering Jody's disappearance. If that's the one you're asking about. Consult, C-O-N-S-U-L-T. Fairy, oh, I didn't know about her phone. Yeah. That's the story on Jennifer Kessie's phone. I, I just ask all of you. How many times on Unfound have we heard about people going missing and their phones going off at the same time, being shut off or being turned off or whatever else? How many times have we heard that? Many, 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 many. So then why should we doubt it with Jennifer Kessies? Agreeing with Cassie, and I'd say that Monday night outside of football season is not a time when most guys are out at the bars, just saying. Charlotte, okay, thank you. So you could have been abducted the night before you. She could have been, but I don't think so. I don't think she was abducted at all. I think she went out by choice. I think what happened, Charlotte, I think that she took her stuff because she was going to sleep over at some other guy's house. She took her stuff for work, took her stuff with her because she was just going to stay over at his house and then go to work from there. That's why she turned her phone off. She didn't want her fiance to call him her, her back and her, then her say, you know, well, honey, why are you at 11 o'clock at night? Where are you going? 
This is how people cheat. They turn their phones off. And despite all this uh, the abductions and everything else, there's no proof of that. There's no proof she was abducted. Whereas I would say with the phone alone, given compared to all the disappearances that I'm found is covered, there's a lot of proof to believe that she went out of the house on Monday night shutting her phone off. When phones go off and people go missing, the disappearance happens not long after the phone goes off. It's very, very consistent. I wouldn't say it's a law, but it's a theory you can really, 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 really rely on. So there you go. All right, let's talk about this Friday. Did not get to that. This Friday, we are going to Louisville, Kentucky. You might remember that we covered the disappearance of Andrea Knabel from Disappearance, uh, Kentucky. And you're going to find that the disappearance of Lisa Marie Green is very similar to Andrea Knabel's. Very, very similar. Both young women struggling with addiction. Both uh, having been very, very clean at one time, uh, maybe recovering and then kind of falling back into it. We have two young women who seemingly just walked off in Louisville, Kentucky. Louis, Lisa Marie Green, you are going to find a Lisa Lee Green out there. Not the correct one. If you're going to be looking this up, Lisa Marie Green from Louisville, Kentucky. She went missing on June 25th of 2014. Her sister, Lee, sister Leah is the guest. Did a fantastic interview. I listened to it today, just making sure that everything came out uh, came out well. I've already posted in the group and on the page, Lisa wrote a long note, not right before she went missing, but maybe a couple days before she wrote a long note on an envelope saying if she ever went missing, this is what had been going on. This person had been doing these things to her. And if she goes missing, everybody is to look at this guy. Well, the circumstances of Lisa's disappearance, she, she was at her father's in Louisville. And he uh, slept during the day because he worked the night shift. So he was going to get a couple uh, hours of sleep. And Lisa said, you know what? I'm just going to go out and sit out on the back porch. It was during the day, the afternoon, late, early afternoon, somewhere in there. And so a few hours later, when her father awoke, didn't see her, went out to the back porch. Lisa's not there. She's never seen again. She did not have a phone or anything. Uh, There's no proof she ever contacted anybody. It's in a a little neighborhood with other uh, houses around. Nobody saw her walking. So this is going to remind you a lot of Andrea Knabel's. I think it's also going to remind you a lot of Layla Faulkner's, once again, a disappearance that I haven't mentioned too much, where she was home with her parents and somehow was able to slip away without them noticing. So this Friday, Lisa Marie Green, Louisville, Kentucky, June 25th, 2014. Her sister Leah is the uh, is the guest. And the title of this episode, you might remember that old firehouse song called All She Wrote will be the name of the episode. So that's all I got for tonight. Thank you all for tuning in. Lot covered tonight. It was a spectacular show. The two hours went so fast. And reminder, we will not be doing this next Monday, but we'll be doing this two weeks ago. The next time we all see each other, it'll be 2024. I'm excited about that. I'm going back to Florida on December 29th. 
And thank you so much. Uh, please give this video a thumbs up. And you will hear me on Friday for the disappearance of Lisa Marie Green. And uh, Sheree, thank you for moderating tonight. Charlie, it was fantastic seeing you and the boys. That was really cool. I hope to see you three again sometime very soon. Good night, everyone.